This is the Fostering Church Podcast, giving you and your church clarity about where to focus so that you can help provide more than enough for children and families in foster care in your community. Here are your hosts, Jason Johnson and Jason Weber. Hey, my name is Jason Johnson. And I'm Jason Weber. And I guess you could say we're the Jasons. Yeah, we're, we're, both, we're both Jasons. Yeah. And what I think we've observed is that uh, if you're in the age range that we're in, uh, that there, there are a lot of us out there. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know about you. I grew up in a small school, a small Kansas town, and I had five Jasons in, in my class alone. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I still have uh, wounds from my childhood because my last name also has a son in it, Jason Johnson. And so I just got ridiculed for my name sounding too much alike first and last. But then I'll be honest with you. I went off to college and started working at a church and my boss called everyone by what he said was their Jedi name. And it essentially was your last name and first name backwards. So he called me for years, Nosnaj Nosage, because that's Jason Johnson backwards. <laughs> and then I'll, I'm, I'm just going to unload everything now. It just got worse from there because... It went from Jason Johnson to Nasnaj Nasage, and then it eventually evolved into Nasnaj Nasage, the Italian sausage. I don't know why. <laughs> that's that's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. that was my. I was on staff at the first church I worked at. So you you were working, and this is in college, right? That you were on staff at that's this right. church. That's right. mm-hmm. um, now I know uh, that you and I both we were kind of like we both had mullets in high school, which was also <laughs> a thing, right? Uh, so I, I guess I'm just imagining back in in mullet days and back in those days. Did to becoming a pastor, you know, you were eventually you eventually became a yeah. a lead pastor. Was that in the cards for you, or did that seem crazy? Gosh, not only did I have the long hair, I even had the the ears pierced, and there may have been some bleaching in the hair going on. Nice, you know, nineties high school. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, no. Uh, as a matter of fact, my dad was a pastor growing up, and while I admired him and respected him, um, I told God, "I will do whatever you want me to do." Except that. Yeah, that was your, that was the problem right there. That's the problem. You tell God what you are not going to do. And then I ended up doing it for over 14 years. And, and you did that in North Houston, right? Yeah, yeah. Mostly up in, on the north side of Houston. And um, it was later in my, um, my work in the church world that we actually planted a church. And that is where our foster care journey actually started for our own family. A number of people in our church began to get involved in foster care. My wife and I became aware that this was even a thing, quite frankly. You know, we had had the one-day conversations about maybe one day we'll adopt, one day when when the time is right. And we went to a breakout session at a conference on foster care and walked out with our worlds completely flipped upside down. Mm. Uh, So my wife and I became foster parents. A number of families in our church did. And that actually ended up evolving into helping other churches in the city of Houston think through how they were going to engage in this issue. Yeah. And, and I imagine that that process of, you know, and I think that's true for a, a lot of us in this space is we sign up for one thing and we end up doing a lot more than we signed up for. Uh, and so as you began to help other churches, then that, you know, now you are the director of church ministry initiatives for the Christian Alliance for Orphans. 
Yeah. Yeah. Taking a lot of that church ministry, pastoral background experience, some of our own personal foster care adoption experience, um, being able to learn and glean from other church leaders and organizational leaders around the country. We get to come alongside and serve the church. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So, Jason, I know that you mentioned growing up uh, in a small town in Kansas, and then that eventually led you into a larger city doing inner city uh, ministry. It's almost like a a Christmas Hallmark movie. Small town boy finds himself in in large, you know, city. So how did that play out for you? Yeah, it feels like the theme of my life in a lot of ways is the Lord asking me to do things I've got no business doing. And I I just remember (laughs) when I first felt like I was supposed to move towards inner city ministry thinking I got no business doing this. I'm not equipped to do this. And, and I, and I just remember being very clearly impressed upon by the Lord that, Hey, it doesn't matter whether you feel like you have what it takes to do this. If I call you to do this, I'll equip you to do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And the same became true. We did inner city ministry for a while and we discovered pretty quickly that over half the kids that we were working with on a weekly basis had been touched by foster care at some point in their lives. Mm-hmm. We became certified foster parents. And we, uh, again, when the Lord brought us our first placement, you know, we thought we were signing up to do foster care for one kiddo at a time. We were 25 and 26 years old, never parented before, didn't know what we were doing. And, um, and he brought us twins with lots of medical needs, which we clearly put in our paperwork that we weren't up for. Wow. So, right, right. Here's what we, here's what we're not going to do, God. And then again, yeah, there you go. Um, he lovingly laughs at you. That's right. <laughs> That's right. That's right. And just like you taking that step into foster care, we quickly began to look around and, and ask ourselves, what can we do to help the church be more engaged in this issue? And that led us into adoption and foster care advocacy, which we've been doing uh, for the last 17 years. Mm-hmm. That's so awesome. That's so, so beautiful. And so now here we are. We find ourselves here on the Fostering Church podcast. So that's a little bit about us and let's know more about us. Let's let's jump into what we're going to be doing over the course of, of this limited series podcast. So together, along with some real-life church ministry leader friends of ours from around the country, we are excited to bring you the Fostering Church podcast. That's right. This is a limited podcast series, so it's only going to be seven episodes, and that is on purpose. Um, We want to unpack six foundational pillars of what an actively engaged church in foster care looks like. And this episode we're doing today is just an introduction to those six pillars. We'll do a brief overview. We want to give a little bit of a vision behind uh, the More Than Enough initiative. And we ultimately want to help you help your church care for children and families in your community until there's more than enough. Yeah. And that's really it, just to help you help your church to come alongside you. And we hope that this is not only an inspirational series for you, but a very practical one as well. And we believe that you'll walk away with some really great practical next steps. But before we jump in, I've got a very important question for you, Jason. Yeah, hit me. All right. Have you, Jason, ever been in an MMA cage fight? <laughs> I feel like I feel like <laughs> you're looking at me right now and you know the answer to that question. <laughs> no. No, I have not been in an listen, MMA cage fight. Listen, you, you never know. You know, it could. 
I know you, but I also know, you know, you may have accidentally found yourself in a <laughs> situation you weren't anticipating. I don't know how these things work. I frankly can't imagine on purpose stepping in oh. to an MMA cage fight. Not only have I not been in an MMA cage fight, I have, I, I have never punched anyone directly in the face or been punched directly in the face. Me neither. And I need to be honest. I saw a meme or something online the other day that said, um, you know, the problem with uh, today's man is that um, they haven't been punched in the face enough as kids. Uh, and it showed like an old fifties black and white picture of a couple of boys scrapping in the playground yard. And I thought, Maybe that's my problem. I don't know. I mean, I've, there's, I've got a lot of them. <laughs> well, one of them is I've never punched anyone and I've never been punched by anyone. I actually consider that to be a success. Yeah. So, yeah. well, maybe our guest today can help us help us solve that problem. He'll solve that problem for us because our guest today has in fact been in an MMA cage fight and it was actually on purpose. His name is Adrian Lewis. He is a foster and adoptive dad. He serves as the chief innovation officer of Care Portal, which is a technology platform designed to facilitate cooperation between local churches and agencies to help meet the real-time needs of children and families in crisis. Yeah, so let's uh, let's get into this interview. We had a great conversation with Adrian and we can't wait for you to hear it. Let's welcome our friend Adrian Lewis. All right. Well, hey, thanks so much for being here with us today, Adrian. We're grateful to have you. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. Hey, uh, so really important question to start with, Adrian. Uh, do you ever wish your name was also Jason? Uh, not on most days, but I, I can see why you guys like it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe on your best days, you do wish that your name was, was Jason. Maybe, yeah. maybe. Uh, Adrian, I've, I've heard a story about you and I need to know if it was on accident or if it was on purpose, uh, that you've actually been involved in an MMA cage fight. Uh, can you tell us about that? Mm. See, you just let us know that you really don't know much about MMA cage fighting because it never I, happens on accident. I don't, it's not, okay, it's well, never an accident. <laughs> in my worst nightmares, in my worst nightmare, Adrian, I accidentally find myself in an MMA cage fight. Yeah. In in real life, it's something you do because you're a little bit crazy and you got some fight in you that needs to come out. So yeah. Yeah. Okay. It happened. Yeah. Is this a recent thing or back in some of your younger days or. Oh, you see all the gray hair on my face. I mean, yeah, actually I was 32 when I did this and I got to tell you, uh, it was an awesome experience but I will never do it again for some very important reasons. Uh, and for those of you who are curious, I did actually win. It's not why I'll never do it again, but I found that I really don't like the idea of somebody trying to take my head off and I can't just say, okay, enough. I don't like that idea too much. So it was a one and done for me. Man. Yeah. So it's safe to say that you are an undefeated. Ah, MMA ah. fighter. It, it is safe to say that. That's right. Man. There are not many people who can say that. Look, quit, quit while you're ahead. That's what I hear. <laughs> so, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a stretch here, guys, because obviously we're here to talk about foster care and the church and how the church can care for kids and families. And I'm not sure what the connection is to MMA cage fighting, but I feel like there's something to be said for we want to love kids and families extremely well. 
and we want to fight hard for them and for what's good for them. So there's my, there it is. there's my attempt to make a connection. Good transition, bro. Good transition. Awesome. All right. So, so here we go, guys, today we're going to be discussing what it looks like for a church to be actively engaged in foster care and how we believe more than enough is possible for kids and families in our community. But before we dive into that, Adrian, I'd love for our audience to know a little bit more about you. So let's start with that. How you got involved in all of this, both Mm -hmm. personally and even now professionally, what it is that you get the privilege to do. Yeah, that's great. I I love sharing this, uh, Jason. Back in 2007, my wife and I got invited to go on a mission trip to Haiti. And we said, yes, God met us there in a miraculous way and opened our eyes to a life that we didn't know was possible, a life that was really pursuing what he had for us and not just what was available. And that led to all kinds of crazy decisions that I won't go into here. But along the way, we took more trips to Haiti. We, we started giving to this ministry we went with, which was called the Global Orphan Project. And uh, further down the road, um, they asked me to, to leave my business and to join them as part of the leadership team. And so we prayed and I said, yes, my wife is amazing. She's Her faith is big and she was ready to take the plunge. And, and uh, so we went for it. And on one of my first trips to Africa, you know, Joe Kinetic and I were, were in Lira, Uganda, and we were at a pastor's house. And I, I can't say this happened many times, but on this particular trip, on this particular day, I heard from the Lord that we were supposed to take the foster care class, my wife and I. And it was, it was clear, do this. My wife and I talked about it. We, we submitted to the idea, didn't know much about foster care at all. And then we became licensed foster, foster parents. And we also felt like it was important for us to, to adopt if that became necessary. We have had lots of kids in our house. The last three now have my last name, Jacob, Jalen, and Isaac, uh, brings our family to six kids. And it has been the most amazing personal journey I could imagine. And what God has done in us as we have opened our hearts to love on these boys to show who God is to them. And while we're doing this personally, you know, I I also am part of the Global Warfare Project, and we created this platform called Care Portal that's really intended to connect the dots between kids who are in crisis and people around them who want to help uh, all around the foster care space. So I get to lead in that, and that lets me become friends with two guys by the name of Jason. And so here we are. Yeah. Awesome. Now, Adrian, you you have been uh, a key leader in developing the vision of more than enough from the very beginning. You and a group of other leaders from across the country, and part of that process was, you know, us realizing that one of the keys to more than enough was getting churches in every community in the country actively engaged in foster care. But one of the first questions we had to ask is, what does that mean to be actively engaged in foster care? And so you facilitated a group of leaders that spent quite a bit of time figuring out what that meant. Can you talk a little bit about that process? Yeah, man, I'm so grateful for CAFO's vision to bring others together, uh, to really try to get the best out of what God is doing and who he's doing it through. And so when the door opened to be part of this team, the obvious answer was yes. And when we started thinking about defining actively engaged churches, uh, we know we knew that we needed to bring in a variety of perspectives to try to answer that question. So 
We had church leaders from big and small churches. We had ministry leaders. We had child welfare professionals who were part of this team. And over the course of three, four months, we met weekly to try to make clear what are the key ingredients that any church who's getting involved needs to have their mindset on. And there's not just one. So a, a trap in this space is to think that your church can be involved. And if you're involved in one way, you're involved in every way. Or another trap would be that the only way you can get involved is just this one way. There aren't other ways, right? And so trying to uncover all of that became very, very important to us. And we ended up with really six pillars of of what it means to be actively engaged. That's good. And we're going to unpack those six pillars a little bit here and then do a deeper dive into each of those six pillars in the following six episodes. And so you can look forward to that. But, you know, these six categories or pillars distilled down are so helpful, especially for a church that frankly might be overwhelmed with where to start. Of the million things that we can do, what are some of the most strategic that we can focus on? or might wonder if they're truly even focusing on the right things and doing an assessment of themselves and determining, are we really engaging in the most effective ways and in the most strategic areas in our community? And then for others of you out there, you might say, you know what, our, tr- our ministry has been going for a little while and we just feel like perhaps we've hit a wall. It, it feels like we've hit a plateau. And and these categories and these, these pillars are just helpful to think through in terms of exploring what your next steps might be. Yeah. So guys, let's dive in to each of those six categories. Let's talk about each one briefly. And as you said, Johnson, we're going to dive into them much more deeply in the coming episodes, but let's just give an overview. So let's start with the first one, which is recruitment and discipleship. And and that word discipleship is, uh, that might sound uh, a little strange uh, to some listening to this. Well, I understand recruitment, but what do you mean when you talk about discipleship in foster care? Uh, and that word has become pretty important to us, hasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that we, we fundamentally believe in many ways that this is a discipleship opportunity uh, within the church. And so, What we mean by recruitment and discipleship is really the simple question of this. What systems do we have in place or what processes do we have in place for maybe the unengaged uh, person in our church to have clarity on how they can move a little bit closer to this? And when I think about discipleship, guys, I think, well, let me just use my own story. You know, the man that I was before I entered the foster care space is not the man that I am now. I know much more about God's love because I was given the opportunity to love kids who came from hard places. And what God taught me about the way that he loves me, others, is invaluable. So I was discipled by these boys who now call me dad. Mm. And Adrian, you have been all about uh, on ramps, right? You you really believe in this idea that we have to create on ramps, um, and that's what you do through Care Portal and and Johnson. You've written a book called "Everyone Can Do Something," and so that idea that there is a place for everyone, there's an on ramp for everyone, is extraordinarily important. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and reinforcing the idea that we're not all called to do the same thing, but we do believe that everyone's been uniquely crafted and gifted to do 
something. And within the body of Christ, there are no insignificant parts. You know, I, I often uh, make jokes uh, to groups about, you know, when's the last time you you actually consciously spent time thinking about your pinky toe? You know, like right now, my back kind of hurts. And I've been thinking about it all morning. I haven't thought about my pinky toe in I don't remember how long until now, now that I've asked you to think about it, right? But you, you, now everybody's thinking about their pinky toe, but you, you stub your, your toe in the middle of the night, getting up to go to the, mm-hmm. uh, the bathroom, right? And suddenly this, what feels like a small and seemingly insignificant part of your body actually becomes the most powerful part of your body, right? It, it, it can bring you down to the floor in a matter of a, a moment. And, and that's the idea is, some are bigger, some are smaller, some are more visible, some are, are more hidden. Uh, some serve in this way, some serve in this way, but there are no insignificant parts. And if we can lay that grid of discipleship over our congregations and provide those on-ramps in response to the love of, of Christ for us uh, and in pursuit of putting that love of Christ on display through us, then I think we can see some really beautiful things materialize. Well, let's let's move on to uh, this next category of communication, uh, and we you know we we intellectually know uh, <clears throat> anybody who's been married you know if you ask them what's the most important thing about marriage they'll automatically say <laughs> uh, communication. But when we're talking about it in the context of the church and foster care, what are we actually talking about? Yeah, you know, I think we're talking about a few things. Number one, we're talking about how, how do we talk about this? Are we using the right words in the right ways, in the right context to the right people at the right time? And so there's an element of how are we even theologically or biblically talking about this? And, and is that clear? And is it compelling to people? There's also an element of are we talking about children and families and the, the system in our community appropriately? Are, are, you know, do we really, are we speaking from a, a place of education um, or speculation, um, right? And are we using the right words in the right ways that are honoring and that are hopeful, that paint a clear picture of reality, but really invite people to come in? And then there's just the issue of frequency of communication. Is this something that we regularly talk about in our church? If someone were to to attend our church for let's say three months. Okay. They're, they're checking it out. They're, they're visitors. They're slowly getting more engaged. And after two or three months, we sat them down and, and we said, Hey, is, do you find that it's normal to hear about foster care or caring for vulnerable children and families with frequency in our church? And it, it, it might not be, you know, a full blown sermon, although sometimes it can be, but maybe it's just conversation in the hallway among families, or you just see it or you hear of it. And so these are questions that we're asking when we think about communication. Mm -hmm. How are we talking about this? How are we presenting this to our people? With what kind of frequency are we, are we doing that? And through what mediums are we doing that? Uh, Storytelling. um, How do we preach about this? How do we, um, how do we honor uh, people's stories and how they're shared, and in what creative ways are we bringing this into the communication stream within our church? And so there's some built-in natural rhythms even within the year, and we'll dive deeper into this in our episode on communication. But you know, every May we have Foster Care Awareness Month. Every November we recognize what is called Stand Sunday, and so even being intentional, as Adrian said, and looking at our calendar. And saying, you know, every six or so months, we've got some natural built-in communication opportunities. And how are we utilizing those? Are there things that we're doing in between those to be intentional about 
infusing this, and I'll use this word, within the culture of our church through the way that we communicate about it. Yeah, and and this, uh, you know, I'll serve. It'll serve a little bit as a teaser. Uh, the answer to the communication question is not just, "Hey, we just need to get our pastor to preach a sermon about this." Right. Hey, we just need to get right. an upfront announcement that that when we narrow communication down to that that act alone, we really miss out on a lot of other opportunities. But well, that's a teaser. We'll get into that deeper. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Good teaser. So let's go into the third area, which is tangible support, actually meeting physical needs of children and families. Talk to me about that, guys. When I think back about what Johnson said of the pinky toe, it's what I think about with, with tangible support. If, if you're taking your pinky toes in place, you're good. If it's not, you have problems. And, you know, so in tangible support, if you don't have the, the money to pay your rent mm-hmm. and you're about to get evicted, which means you're going to lose your kids, that becomes a really important $600. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have a bed so that you can bring your kids back out of foster care, back into your home mm-hmm. without child welfare approving that, that pinky toe bed becomes really, really important. And so these kinds of things are six inch barriers for many people Mm -hmm. in the church. Many people in the church can say, I can provide funding to help with that rent. I can provide that bed so that family can get back reunified. Those are smaller things that lots of people can do. And so just create on-ramps like we talked about before, creating on-ramps and easy ways in to meet tangible needs. And you know what happens along the way? We make connections. Mm. And sometimes those connections become very meaningful to you and the people that you're serving. And God does amazing, ripple-ish kinds of things through those connections that transform people's lives. So when I think about tangible support, I really think about it as, as a doorway into the life of someone who is in need. And you have the opportunity to be Christ and see Christ in those moments. That's so good. And and when I listen to you, Adrian, and having just interacted with so many people trying to find their place in this space, there's a couple of words that are often used that I try to remove from their vocabulary. And it's the words just and only. Well, well, I'm just bringing a meal or I'm just helping provide a bed or a mattress or I'm only doing this. And I say they're in the work that we get to do and participating with God in the renewal of all things and stepping towards places that are in need and providing what's needed in those places so that renewal can happen. There is no just or only in that. It is, it is um, consequential. And I would even go so far as to say um, not only um, immediately impactful, but eternally impactful. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no just or only in in this. Well said, well said. And Adrian, by the way, extra points for uh, good use of the word ripple-ish. Uh, <laughs> really, really well done. Now, the question is, how do you spell ripple-ish? Because I don't really know. <laughs> all right, all right. So let's move to uh, the fourth area, uh, relational support. So different from tangible support, we're talking about um, relational support. So talk to me about that. Yeah. So, you know, my mind immediately goes to a couple of categories of people um, that are going to be involved in families and children's lives. 
there's going to be people who, who love you and those people, those people who love you may not get you. Okay. Uh, they might not get what it's like to be a foster parent or get what it's like to be in the situation that you're in, but man, they love you and they want to wrap around you and support you and, and be there for you in a number of different ways. There's another category of people that get you, you know, these are the people you walk in the room and you don't have to explain yourself to them. Uh, kind of the shield comes off and there's vulnerability and there's understanding and there's deep connection. And so I think those are a couple of key categories of people are as a church, are we providing opportunities for, for people to love on these families, foster families, biological families, kinship families, and the kiddos that they're, that they're serving? Um, are we also providing opportunities for those people to be relationally connected with people who get them? Like, mm. uh, these are just my people. Um, and so that's a helpful framework for me to think through. Are we providing on-ramps and opportunities for, for our people to be connected with these different kinds of people around them? So thinking about relational support reminds me of the very first time I got exposed to the foster care system. My, my wife was just at a meeting at church and she saw a grandma who was struggling to get somebody registered and, and come to find out it was her granddaughter who was eight years old and had just come to live with them from halfway across the country. It was, it was a kinship foster care placement. Mm. And these grandparents at 70 had no clue how to deal with the two little kids they just brought in. And so my wife started walking with grandma. Next thing you know, she's tutoring the, the little girl and the little boy. And next thing you know, we're taking them to soccer practice and they're on our kids' teams and they're at our house. And, and we just got connected to that, those grandparents to, to come alongside of them in a relational way because they didn't have anybody and they, they needed walk with us. Right. There's another word for you. We need some walk with it in our life. <laughs> and we just got the chance to be walk with us, you know, and, and uh, that was my first exposure to the to the whole foster care world. Yeah. All right. Well, area number five, leadership. This is a big one. You know, I think the heart here is um, using a, a question as kind of a litmus test. One of the questions that we like to ask is if someone in your church wanted to know more about foster care and and where they could go and who they could talk to is that clear this is where i go and this is who i talk to and and i find over and over again in churches that if that's not clear where i go and who i talk to then they won't go anywhere or talk to anyone about it and so you know is that clear and then another piece of our leadership um, is sustainability are we building out leadership structures in such a way that the ministry lives beyond just the leaders who are there in, in place during that season? Is there sustainability in our leadership? And I'll share this, and, and then I'd, I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts. We're really trying to mitigate in this particular category an issue that we see over and over and over again in churches. And it's, it's often one of very well-meaning and passionate people. Maybe it's a foster family who are passionate advocates in their church. And suddenly they look around and they realize there's now kind of a ministry that has been formed around us. And we stumbled into leadership here and we need help. We need help on how do we actually do this well. Mm. And as churches, we want to provide that help. And second, 
what happens if that foster family or adoptive family has to move away for a job or decides it's just too much for us right now. Our plate's already so full caring for kids and, and all that we're dealing with in our home. We can't leave the ministry anymore. The question then arises, well, what happens to the ministry now? Uh, and so we want leadership structures in place that are sustainable and that offer clarity for people in the church on this is where I can go and who I can talk to to become more engaged. You know, I agree with all of that, uh, Johnson. One of the things that rattles my mind when I think of leadership in the foster care space is what leadership is not. Many pastors are deathly afraid of getting involved in this space because they don't feel called to foster or adopt themselves. And so because they don't feel called, they then think, well, I can't actually have conversations about this. I can't lead this from the pulpit, from however, because I'm not going to do it myself. And that's actually a, a lie. It's not from the Lord, right? The, the role of the leadership is to help everybody understand what you said earlier, everybody can do something. What is your place? Do you want to provide tangible resources? Do you want to walk alongside grandma and grandpa who are taking, taking in their kids? Do you want to lead up a ministry? There's all kinds of opportunities for people to get involved. So leadership doesn't have to mean you bring kids into your home. And that's a really important thing, particularly for pastors to understand so they feel free to lead. You know, I love I love that Adrian because it 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 speaks back to what we're talking about about the body of Christ and everybody has a role to play. Mm -hmm. And so uh, the role of a leader in a church or a pastor may simply be to uh, live out and obey uh, the scripture in Proverbs that talks about speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. So it may just simply right. be the act of speaking up and it's for others to do other parts of the body to fill out those other roles to care uh, in other ways um, through bringing children in their home. So uh, I, I just love that. That's right. You know, and going back to your point on communication, Weber, you know, and the idea that all of our communication problems can be solved if we can just get our pastor to preach on it or to, an announcement from stage. And, and we find that that's often not, not the case. And often we find that, that people within churches, really what they want from their leadership and their, their pastors is it doesn't have to be a sermon every week on God's heart for foster care or, or you know, for even for their pastors to all decide we need to be foster parents. Although, of course, who's going to, you know, argue if that happens. But I think really what people want is, is for their leadership to see the need and to create space within the culture of their church that frees people and empowers people to really press into this um, within their church community. And so to your point, Adrian, a, a pastor doesn't have to necessarily become a foster parent, but it could simply be creating that space and, and finding those people who are really going to feel empowered to char take charge of this ministry in, in their church. And I find that when I interact with, with those leaders within church who say, we are so grateful that our pastors and our church leadership have created that space in our church, it, it goes such a long way. Mm -hmm. Well, let's, uh, let's go to that last area, that sixth area, which is so, so important, the area of prayer. 
and when we say prayer, you know, sometimes prayer gets used as 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 lip service, uh, as oh well, we have to include that because we're talking about uh, the church, so we have to include prayer. Uh, but when we talk about prayer in the context of the church and foster care, uh, it it's it's serious. Yeah, when I think about this this topic, I think about the most amazing things God has done in my life and how prayer was central to them. And I don't just mean, you know, I'm, I'm going to pray about this. I mean, I am seeking God's face in the moment and I am listening for his voice in the moment. Th- those things count as prayer too, right? And I also think back to just the Bible, the scripture and, and all the examples of the amazing things that happened when people prayed. I mean, Moses went up on the mountain and he prayed, right? And Jesus constantly went to his father and, and he prayed and the the apostles gathered and they prayed. And, and so when we want to see God move, we have to expect that the top thing on our list is to seek his face about it over and over and over again, and then watch what he does in response. And to be encouraged by the fact and even reminded of the fact that while we are participating in very real human stories, very real and raw human stories. We are above and beyond that participating in a very real and raw spiritual story that requires and and demands of us that we would be leaning into the heart of God through prayer on behalf of families and children, on behalf of our community, uh, the, the child welfare system, those who work within that child welfare system, our leadership, our church we are all collectively together participating in this spiritual story through the form of very real human stories around us. So well said. And so many of the incredible things that have been happening in this country in foster care through the church uh, really, honestly, sincerely have been built on a foundation of prayer. And so I can't wait till we get the chance to dive into that one uh, more deeply in our coming episodes. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be great. So we're going to take all each of these six and we will have some special guests some church leaders with us that will help us take a deep dive into each of these six categories. You'll walk away, I hope inspired, but also with something in your hands, some very practical next steps that you can take as a church leader in each of these areas. Adrian Lewis. Thank you, brother. Thank you for helping us yeah. tee this thing up. My pleasure, guys. I love you both. I love what you're doing. Uh, and what just dawned on me is, I guess it's true that somebody can be a lover and a fighter at the same time. Yeah. what you think? Yeah. I, when I think of Adrian Lewis, I think lover and fighter. It is. That's right. That's good. Well, let's let's keep loving hard and fighting hard for, for what it is that God's called us to. There we go. We connected it back. That's, that's what we're all about. Amen. Man, I just really like that guy. Uh, such good stuff. Yeah, no doubt. He is so solid and so cool. And I love how these six pillars of an actively engaged church in foster care help bring some clarity and strategic thinking to providing more than enough for children and families. And if you're listening to this and you're a church leader or a volunteer, an advocate, and you actually want those six pillars in your hand right in front of you, we want to let you know that there is a free PDF download that unpacks each of these six areas 
more deeply. And so you can go to the show notes. You can visit morethanenoughtogether.org and find the PDF under this podcast link. But we want to make sure that you know that's available to you for each and every episode. Remember, the following episodes in the limited series will take a deeper dive into each of these pillars, so be sure to check them out when they're available wherever you listen to your podcasts. Now, several times throughout this episode, we've referred to the phrase more than enough. If you're not sure what we mean by that, I'd invite you to stick around after this episode, after the music. We've got a little bonus section where we take a couple of minutes to unpack what we mean when we talk about more than enough in your community. So be sure to stick around for that. So, hey, thanks for joining us today. We will see you next time for pillar number one of an actively engaged church. We'll see you then. This has been the Fostering Church Podcast. Join the Jasons and their guests for all seven episodes dedicated to helping your church provide more than enough for children and families in your community. Please rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts so that we can help more churches help more children and families. The Fostering Church Podcast is a production of More Than Enough, a collaborative movement facilitated by the members and partners of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. For resources related to this episode, click on the podcast link at morethanenoughtogether.org. That's morethanenoughtogether.org. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Here is our bonus section. We just wanted to take a little bit of time to explain more fully what we mean when we say that we are trying to help you provide more than enough for children and families in your community. Some of you may be wondering, what is more than enough? And it is a collaborative effort among churches, organizations, and individuals around the country to see foster care transformation in every community in the country. You know, we have uh, 3,142 counties or county equivalents in the United States. You know, if if somebody were to ask you, um, hey, could you paint me a picture of a horse? There are a few people listening that would say, yeah, I can, I can paint a horse that would actually get hung on a wall somewhere. But most of us cannot just paint a horse. But if I were to put in front of you a, a paint by number, that makes it much easier because what we know is that doing hard things becomes easier when we break it down into manageable parts. And often the narrative has been in foster care. We've got a really, really, really big, important problem. And we try to convince people of how big and important it is by sharing the biggest numbers we can find. We talk about over 400,000 kids in care and over 100,000 kids waiting to be adopted. The reality is, is that most people listening to us communicate that message, that problem feels too big to actually solve. And so more than enough is all about helping to break that giant problem down into 3,142 smaller problems that every community can take on collaboratively, churches working together with organizations in a collaborative way to transform foster care in their community until more than enough is a reality for children and families in foster care. And when we say more than enough, we mean more than enough foster homes and kinship homes for every child to have an ideal placement, more than enough adoptive homes for every waiting child, more than enough help for biological families who are trying to stay together and get back together, and more than enough support for all of them. We think it's possible in the county where you live, and we believe that it starts with your church. And that's why we're doing this podcast. Mm, Absolutely. So for more information... 
As Jason's mentioned, be sure to check out morethanenoughtogether.org. You're going to find resources. You're going to find data. You're going to find encouragement and connection to help you take your next best steps. So, hey, thanks for joining us today. We will see you next time for pillar number one of an actively engaged church. We'll see you then.